for the month of March, we're going to be focusing on the Ten Commandments. And the question for us today, as we're preparing our hearts and meditating, is what does God require in the first, second, and third commandments? And this is from God's Word. It says from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 13 through 14, It is the Lord your God you shall fear him. You shall serve him, and by his name you shall swear. You shall swear. So let's rise up together as we respond to the question of this catechism. And let's read together. First, that we know and trust God as the only true and living God. Second, that we avoid all idolatry and do not worship God improperly. Third, that we treat God's name with fear and reverence honoring also his word and works. So let's use this time to just pray over those things um, as you are here worshiping the Lord, that may God would speak to you uh, through Pastor Kevin today as he speaks. Um, as you are worshiping the Lord, that your heart would you know, be a living sacrifice for his kingdom that we are able to give all of our hearts, our souls, our minds uh, to the Lord. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are so worthy to be praised to, that your name magnifies all over the earth and in the heavens, and that you are able to control all things, and that we are able to seek you, Lord. We ask today as we come to worship you that we would give honor to you, that we would give glory to you, and that we would have reverence of your name, that you are worthy to be honored with our lips, with our hearts, with our minds. And we ask that your that, that this very service here in this building would be in place to put you, to be bestow you on the most high. So Lord, we just pray for this worship that the worship team has prepared this past week, that, that we would be able to uh, speak praise and glory to you, that as we hear your word, Lord, that we would be moved and be transferred um, by the Holy Spirit as it is using uh, Pastor Kevin to speak to us. We pray that the word would really transform our church, that we would be able to transition into our daily routines and allow you to be more invited into this place and wherever we are at. So God, we give you this glory. We give you this praise. And in Jesus' name we pray as a church. Amen. Can we all stand? Oh, you guys are already standing. <laughs> be your name the land that is plentiful where streams of abundance flow blessed be your name blessed be your name when I'm found in the desert place or walk through the wilderness blessed be your name Every blessing you pour out, I'll turn back to praise. When the darkness closes in, Lord, still I will say, Blessed be the name of the Lord, blessed be your name. 
Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be your glorious name. Blessed be your name when the sun's shining down on me. World's all as it should be. Blessed be your name. Blessed be your name on the road marked with suffering. Who was paid in the offering? Blessed be your name. Every blessing you pour out. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be your glorious name. You give and take away. You give and take away. My heart will choose to say, Blessed be your name. You give and take away. You give and
the living God fall fresh again. Come search our hearts and purify our hearts. We need your perfect love. We need your discipline. We're lost in guys and guide us with your life. Oh, Jesus, come lead us. We're desperate for your time. The mighty one, the one I know it's going to be unfamiliar for many of you guys, but really just take time to read the words. Let the words sit in your heart and let it be truth and prayer to you. Scenes of mountains grander creation majesty the glory of a sunrise shining over me but the single greatest wonder 
my soul has ever seen is the Lamb of God on Calvary. Blazing stars that reach me from distant galaxies. The oceans, they are speaking magnificent so deep. But still the greatest wonder my soul has ever seen is the Lamb of God on Calvary. Behold the Son of God who takes away our sin. Behold this perfect sacrifice. Behold the wounds of grace upon his hands and feet. Oh, the Lamb of God on Calvary. Forever 
Sunday we can come and to be able to worship Lord through the craziness of our weeks that we can come together and have our hearts just be lifted up to you God so Lord I pray will you speak to us God through Pastor Kevin that the words that come out of his mouth Lord truly be from you and you're preparing us, God, for um, just the message you designed for us to live out. So, God, I thank you for everything. We love you. In Jesus' name, pray. to reign eternally in a grace so glorious. Oh, in a grace so This series is going to be called Rhythms with Christ. 
And the heartbeat of the series is that as a church, we've been off rhythm with God. And if you think back to the week before retreat, when Tony preached on Matthew, he talked about how Jesus is out there um, singing a happy song, and yet we still complain. Or Jesus is out there singing a sad song, and we still complain. And the reason we complain is because it's not about the song, it's about him. We've rejected Jesus in our hearts. And so while Jesus is out there putting together the most perfect song on how to live Um, eat and out in our lives, how to bring about flourishing, um, we're standing in the pews clapping off feet because we think somehow our ways are better than his and we know what's right. And so the heart of this series is a call for repentance, is that in the different areas of our lives, whether it's work, rest, relationship, or prayer, that we will reorient ourselves and go back to being in rhythm with Jesus. And this is hard. It's going to take a lot of work um, because it's the new orientation of our lives. Um, Like yesterday, I was talking to my mom. I was at my sister's wedding. And so if there's anything to know about my mom, she works really, really hard. Like six days a week, morning till evening, service jobs. She works at Morangak. I don't know if you guys have ever been there. Um, But her workplace has given her two weeks off. And this is the most time off that she's received in like years, and God knows when. And um, on her first day on break, she turned to me and she was like, hey, Kevin, like, I think I feel more exhausted being on rest than I was when I was working. And that makes sense. It's because it's a different rhythm in her life. It's a reorientation. It's something new. And the same way for us, as we're starting off a new rhythm, it's going to be hard. It's going to be tiring. But I promise you, if we keep to it, then we'll experience a deeper intimacy with God than we've ever had before. So with that in mind, let's go ahead and pray. Close our eyes, bow our heads. Father, you are good. I pray, Lord, that as we come together as a body of believers, that we may reflect on your goodness, your mercy, and your love for us, Lord. Um, As we look into Psalms, I pray, Lord, that you may study us, you may master us, and you may give us ears to hear, eyes to see, a heart that is softened, Lord. May your word not return void, but complete its work within us, that we may recognize that even in the midst of our sadness and suffering and depression, we have an eternal hope, and that is you, Lord. So I pray, Lord, that we recognize the importance of having the rhythm of prayer in our lives, that they may seep within us and may become a lifestyle, Lord, that we may be a people marked by prayer, if nothing else, Lord. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Don't change. Your depression is beautiful. When Jim Carrey, the main actor of the movie, Eternal Sunshine of a Spotless Mind, was looking to his director for advice on how to be a better actor or a better leading role for this movie, that's the words, the advice that the director gave him. Don't change. Your depression is beautiful. It's not only, it's after many years of self-reflection, wrestling, and therapy that Jim Carrey looked back at that and he realized, that's some pretty messed up advice. (laughs) That's really messed up. But it's a big indicator of how our culture deals with sadness and suffering. We don't have an answer. And because we don't have an answer, as a society, we tend to romanticize sadness and suffering. And so when the world actually undergoes suffering, Because it has no answer, it can only deal with the fruits. And so we spend millions of dollars on drugs, therapy, and keep in mind, like these things in itself is good if it's used rightly. I fully believe that God uses these vehicles to better us, but when we let it only be the main thing for how we deal with suffering, then it becomes our master. Only Christianity has the right answer and the most satisfying answer on how to deal with suffering how to deal with depression, how to deal with sadness. And I believe the main instrument that God gives us for us to deal with the roots of suffering is prayer. And I mean that sincerely because I know that lately in our culture, prayer has become almost a thoughtless response, like, hey, I'm suffering, let's go pray about it. It almost seems like they're minimizing our pain. But I believe that the reason we look this way towards prayer It's because we have a very superficial idea of what it means for us to talk with our creator. 
Because just think about it. If we have these emotions on how we engage with the world and we need help with these emotions, it makes sense that we talk to the person who gave us these emotions and created the world. And so when you're off rhythm with God, you have a low view of prayer. It shows in your prayer life. When your prayer life is spent just asking God for things and talking about just yourself, then you know that you're offbeat. Because God's rhythm for prayer is so much more. Prayer is God's way for us to bring his heart and make that into our heart. Prayer is God's way of showing us what breaks his heart and letting that break our hearts. And so if we truly understand God's rhythm for prayer, then we can experience a much richer and more satisfying Christian life, intimacy with God. And one of the prayers we're going to be looking at today is the prayer of lamentation or a prayer of sorrow. It's a prayer I don't think we look at enough in the church. Um, It's a prayer where you're real with your sorrows. You're bringing to God the full, full brokenness of your situation. And you're not sinning. You're letting God's word speak truth into it. And so you preach to yourself the goodness of God's mercy and love. And so let's go ahead and turn to our passage today, the prayer for us today. It's going to be Psalms 42. We're going to be looking at the entire chapter. So again, turn with me to Psalms 42. Okay, because man must not live on bread alone, but on every word of God. I'm going to go ahead and read from the very top. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for you, God, for the living God. When shall I come and um, appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night. While they say to me all day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul. How I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me, hoping God? For I shall again praise him, my salvation. And my God, my soul is cast down within me. Therefore I remember you from the land of Jordan, of Hermon, from Mount Mazar, deep cause to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. By day the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night his song is with me a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of my enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me. While they say to me all day long, where is your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. This psalm is about a man who is suffering. We don't know who the author is. The subscription says the sons of Korah. And so these sons of Korah, we don't know exactly who, uh, but we know that the responsibilities were to bring praise into the temple courts. They were to lead praise. Um, But there's some other things that we could tell about the author's situation just by looking at the context of this chapter. For example, if we look at Psalms 42 and we look at verse 6, He's going to talk about the land of Jordan and of Hermon and Mount Mazah. So that appears to be where the author is currently located at. But where he wants to be is in Jerusalem. He wants to be before his God, praising with his people. But he's physically separated from God, from his people, from the temple. You could almost say that he's exiled from his community. And we could also see at the end of verse 3 that he has people taunting him, saying, Where is your God? And then again, you see that same phrase in the end of verse 10. And it cuts this man so deep that it's almost like a knife wound. Where is your God? And so there's enemies around this guy, taunting him. And if we look at the end of verse 9, we see that the author says he's mourning because of the oppression of his enemies. So he's being oppressed by his enemies. And that all culminates to the end of verse 5, where he renders this and he says, why are you cast down on my soul? And you get that same phrase at the end of verse 6, and then at verse 11, 
And we're not going to see this, but he says this again at the end of verse, or in chapter 43. Why are you downcast, O my soul? Other verses will translate that as, why are you depressed, O my soul? And so we see this guy, the psalmist, who's exiled. He's not where he wants to be. He's away from his people. He's away from access to God. He's being taunted by his enemies. Not only that, he's being oppressed by his enemies, and he's depressed. This is a guy who is suffering. And in his suffering, he is thirsty. And that is so instructive for us. Because what he's doing in his circumstances is a truth, it's his heart of anguish that I feel like we lack in today's church. And that truth is today's sermon in a sentence. And so again, my sermon in a sentence is if there's anything you guys take away from this sermon, you guys forget everything else, this is the one sentence I want you guys to remember. If somebody says, hey, what did you learn from today's sermon? This is it. It's when the darkness does not lift, lean on prayer. Let me say that again. When the darkness does not lift, lean on prayer. Okay, so we have three points for us today. So what does it mean to lean on prayer? It means point one, pray running to the Father. Point two, pray reflecting on his faithfulness. And then point three, pray resting on his word. All right, so point one, pray running to the Father. It's going to reread verses 1 through 3. As a, pr- a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all day long, where is your God? Okay, for a second, let's just go ahead and talk about what this man is not doing. This man is not concluding that his enemies have the right idea. He's not saying, you're right. My enemies, you're right. Like, my God has forsaken me. Um, I should go ahead and abandon him and find a different God. Nor is he saying, like, yes, because God won't help me, I'm going to go in and find my satisfaction in something else. I'm going to go in and find some sinful comfort, whatever that is, and find some solace in that. That's not what this man is doing. Look at verse 1. He says, as a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. The image of what this man is portraying here is not just like a, uh, man, I'm thirsty, let me go and get a glass of water. Um, it's the image of an animal stuck in a drought, no water, desperately, desperately clinging for something to drink. And we see this image in Joel, the same idea of a man or an animal who desperately, desperately wants water. And so this man being exiled, being oppressed, being depressed, being taunted, recognizes what he needs most is God. It's not relief. It's not temporary wealth or power. He wants something eternal. He wants something that he says in verse 2, my soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? He knows that the longings of his heart cries to be watered by an infinite reservoir, something infinite, something eternal, the same kind that was offered to the Samaritan woman in the New Testament, if you think back to then. He doesn't want any temporary relief. He doesn't want any temporary emotions. He doesn't want power. He doesn't want something worldly. What he wants is something eternal. In his darkest moments, in his area of deepest need, he wanted to run to his father in prayer. Um, the best way for us to kind of see this in our own minds is to just think of food. Right? Like, there's some dishes that I can eat a large quantity of, and I just won't be full. Like, I don't know why, seaweed snacks? Like, whenever I eat seaweed snacks, I can eat, like, a box, and it doesn't fill me up. Or tangerines. I eat, like, a bag of tangerines. It just doesn't really make me full. And it's even worse when, like, you're not even full. You're just sick of the taste, right? It's really nang for you. So, like, you go out to eat, like, Korean barbecue, right, or, like, Italian food. Like, because it's so cheesy and fat and rich, like, you know you're still hungry, but you don't want the food anymore. So you're out in like Korean barbecue and you're trying to like hide the meat and like the salads or like you're trying to like say you're going to the restroom but you're really going to spit it out all because you're sick of the taste. And so that's what the psalmist is recognizing here is everything in this world is temporary and unsatisfying. He's sick of it. Only the eternal can completely satisfy. And so he's not resorting and he's not holding on to anything lesser than God. He wants God 
and all he's left with right now is his weeping. And there's a depth of emotion that's on display here. And I would even suggest to you that there's this level of righteous suffering here. And what I mean by righteous is, as I said before, he's holding on to his grip of wanting the Father. He's running to the Father. He's not running to anything else. He's not distracted. He's not taking detours. He's not taking anything lesser than. He's not allowing his enemies to have a hold on him. He's not agreeing with his enemies, nor is he falling into sin or temptation. Why? Because, again, he recognizes that when he runs to the Father, he'll find what is eternal. And what is eternal? It is salvation. If we look at the end of verse 11, the psalmist writes, Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. And that should be what leads us to continue running in our darkness. We want to run to the Father. We want to run in prayer because we want to run to salvation. Um, I don't know if you guys have ever heard of a hymn, Tis So Sweet to Trust in Jesus, um, but it's one of my favorite hymns. And a large, a large portion of it is because of its backstory, where it came from. So it's written by a woman named Louisa Steed. And how the story goes is that Louisa was having a picnic with her husband and her daughter, where out in the lake she heard screaming. And what she saw was in that lake there was a boy drowning. And so her husband decides, I'm going to go and save that child. So that husband jumps in, tries to save that child, um, but the boy was clinging on to the husband so tightly that um, tragically they both drowned um, in the terrified eyes of both Louisa and her daughter. And out of lamentation and tears and just sitting on that event, Louisa wrote the hymn, Tis So Sweet to Trust in Jesus. Why? Because she prayed. She ran to the Father, and she prayed raw and honest prayers that leaned into salvation, leaned into the eternal joy that she has with Jesus, and that satisfied her. Despite the brokenness that's around her, despite the fact that her circumstances did not change, despite the fact her emotions did not change, right? She was still in poverty because her husband passed away. Um, she was still going through brokenness. She knew that these were all trials. These were all temporary to sanctify her before the eternal joy she'll experience one day with Jesus Christ. And that's what I would submit to you guys, is that if you're suffering emotionally, then the Lord might not change your emotions. If you're suffering emotionally, then the Lord might not change your circumstances. But if you stay faithful, run to the Father, look at salvation, don't take any detours, focus on the prize, do what Louisa did, then you'll partake of its fruit. Because if you lean on eternal joy, then even when the darkness does not lift, you see what's eternal. You see salvation. And as Christians, we know that sadness and suffering will come. Because when you call, accept the call for Christianity, you're accepting the call to the cross. Our gospel is the gospel of the cross. We expect suffering. We expect persecution. We expect hurts. But we also expect eternal joy. We also expect salvation. We also expect resurrection. Um, when talking about the call to suffer, this is from Mark Dever. He writes, A call to a believer is a call to die, to self, to sin, to selfish ambition, to idolizing your own success, and to enhancing your own image. If you've never died like this in ministry, then chances are you're not doing it right. But it's worth the cost. Because here's the hope. A call to Christianity is a call to the kind of death that always results in resurrection. Maybe not immediately, but eventually. What this means is that there's no glory in the Christian life without suffering first, not even for Jesus. But if we do suffer with him, if we stay faithful and we continue to lean on him in prayer, then we'll be glorified with him. Because no one who dies with Christ will ever be left in their grave. He always raises his people. And we see glimpses of that salvation in our suffering, right? James and Paul both writes about this in James 1, 2 to 3, and Romans 5, 3 to 4, how both perseverance and suffering produces godliness within us. Because every time we persevere in our suffering and we lean towards God and we focus on our salvation, what we're being tested is whether we rely on him. Because every time our soul is tested, we see what we run to first when darkness consumes us. 
And so church, in the time of darkness, I urge you to pray. Pray raw prayers, pray lamenting prayers, and pray always reflecting that resurrection is to come, that salvation is to come. Because it'll give your heart the perseverance necessary to grow in godliness, to grow in holiness, and to always grab hold of the better thing. If we rely on anything else to get through our struggles, any other temporary things, such as relationships, alcohol, all these other escapes may give us temporary relief, sure, but it'll eventually drown us. It'll eventually kill us. If it becomes the main thing, it'll become our God. And so we can all probably relate to relying on something worldly to try to get through our sufferings, but we could also, be rela- we could also relate to being consumed by these things. It's only in prayer, resting in salvation, that can help your soul grow. And you know what else happens? When we're faithful, when we suffer, we glorify God. We are a witness to the world. Because when the world looks at you and you say to the world, I'm in suffering, but my God is good, I believe that my God is sovereign, then the world is going to look at you and say, there's literally no evidence of that in your life. You're saying that your God is good, but your life sucks. And you look back at the world and you say, yeah, it's true, but I know that my God is good then the world is forced to conclude that there's something that happened that convinced you to believe that your God is good. And that glorifies God. Okay, let's go ahead and move on to point two. Point two, pray reflecting on his faithfulness. Let me say that again. Pray reflecting on his faithfulness. And let me go ahead and read from verse four to the end of verse six. These things I remember as I pour out my soul how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and shouts of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hoping God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation. And my God, my soul is cast down within me. I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon from Mount Mazar. So there's a pattern in the psalm. It seems like the longer the psalm goes on, the tighter the darkness becomes and the tighter the depression becomes. And in response, what the psalmist does is he leans even deeper into prayer. Here we see that the psalmist is forcing himself to remember all the good things that God has done in his life. He's forcing himself to remember that God is faithful. And so what he's referring to here in keeping festival refers to, um, in verse 4, it refers to what Israel would do on feast days. So all the males of Israel is supposed to meet, congregate with one another three times in a year uh, for these feast days. And it seems like this man would maybe lead Israel in worship or in praise. But whatever his responsibility was, this was a high point for him. And so what this man is forcing himself to remember, what this man is forcing himself to long for is not some private revelation or some private thing that God has given him, His heart is anguishing for something that we're experiencing right now. Say public gathering of believers all coming together to worship God. So in the book, Harry Potter, um, in book three, we have these creatures that are described called Dementors. And what these Dementors are, um, are these creatures that come around and they like suck happiness out of you. And so what the goal you have to do, or the spell that you have to do to, you know, repel these Dementors is to cast a spell called a Patronus. And so the way to catch the Patronus was to think of your happiest memory. And so dark wizards were not able to actually cast us because they had no happy memory. And the stronger, the happier the memory was, the more you were able to fight off these Dementors. And for the author here, it seems like the happy memory that he would use to fight off the dementors of his life would be praising God with Israel, with God's people. It seems like the joy of gathering together, who not only worshiped the same God, but also obeyed the same God, gave him so much of a satisfaction that he was able to fight back the demons in his life. And can we just take a second to think about how we take that for granted? Like the fact that we're all here together, like-minded, worshiping the same God, praising the same God, praying to the same God, the fact that we're able to lean on each other, we're able to encourage each other, if we need something, we can ask each other, like that's a blessing. 
That's God's faithfulness. Um, and when I'm not here, I'm thankful for TLC and I miss TLC. I miss praying with you guys. I miss being with you guys, fellowshipping with you guys. And the author here recognizes that beauty in the gathering. In his deep depression, he's remembering the goodness of God through his people. And while his enemies are taunting him, where is your God? He's saying, I remember my God. I remember he is faithful. He will be faithful. That's enough. Because in his memories, he remembers that God is a faithful God. His reflections are a reminder of how he ought to feel. Because there's a deep connection between God's faithfulness and his people. We can see this in Jesus. When Jesus was about to undergo the greatest suffering, the death on the cross, he does two things. First thing he does is he prays a prayer of lamentation. He asks his father in a raw, raw way to take the cup from him if possible. Then he reflects on the prize. What keeps him going is the joy set before him. What keeps him going is God's faithfulness for his people, us. What's preserved in Jesus' memory, what urges him to go into the cross, is that he knows one day through his death, you will come to saving grace. That he sees you. He sees every single Christian from the past, from the present, from the future, all gathered together, the triumphant church, reconciled with God, praising God all together. Free to enjoy salvation forever. And that's the joy set before him. It's this memory that allows him to go to the cross. And every single person that Jesus saw was an evidence of Jesus' ability or God's ability and his faithfulness to redeem, restore, and make new dead people. And our church today is an ultimate evidence that Jesus is faithful, that our God is faithful. Like if you look at the person next to you, you recognize that these people were once dead in their sin. Like they come with their own unique brokenness, their own unique history, and God made new creatures, new people out of every single one of these people. And not only that, but God uses you to make them godlier, and God uses them to make you godlier. God is faithful. If God could be faithful to save those next to you, he can be faithful to save you. If God could be faithful enough to counsel those next to you, he can be faithful enough to counsel you. So every memory you have with your people here is a memory that God is good, that God is faithful. So what John Piper says is that God uses these corporate encounters to preserve your faith and in the way you will remember them later. So church, in your suffering, pray thanking God for these moments, how God's not only been faithful to you, He's never let you go. He never let you slip through his hands. But also he never let the people next to you go. If sitting in this gathering does not strike your heart, if it's never given you joy, if you've never related to this emotion, then pray on that. Pray because the chances are that that weightiness, that head knowledge has probably not reached your heart yet. Pray sitting on the knowledge that there's millions if not billions of people who God saved from damnation in the past. And there's countless people that God will save in the future. God is faithful. Look at what he's done. <clears throat> Lastly, let's move on to point three. Lean on his word. Let me say that again. Lean on his word. When you're depressed, when the darkness does not lift, run to God in prayer by leaning on his word. We're going to go ahead and read from seven to the end of verse 11. Deep costed deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. By day the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go on mourning because of the oppression of my enemy? As with the deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me. While they say to me all the day long, where is your God? Why are you cast down on my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hoping God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation, and my God. So throughout this entire chapter, we see that as he goes through this tunnel of depression downwards, that there's this constant refrain. There's this constant statement that's made over and over and over, and it's, why are you cast down on my soul? And it's not rumination, right? I learned that new word recently. Um, 
It's when you like think of something really bad and it like really spirals downwards. Um, but that's not what this man is doing. He's not tormenting himself. He's not pitting himself. He's not attacking himself. Um, this is the man who's wrestled and encountered the Lord and is now preaching to himself. He's saying, I know what's true. I know even though my circumstances might show, not show it, but I know the reality of this world and my God is good. So why are you downcast, O my soul? Do you not know that your God is good and faithful? He's preaching to his emotions what he knows is true. This is the man who's warring with his darkness by preaching the word of God to himself. Um, Spurgeon, the theologian, looks at this and he says, it's almost as if there's two men. The psalmist is talking to himself. His faith is reasoning with his fears and his hope is arguing with his sorrows. Again, this is a man who's grieving three times, each one more darker than the last, and every single time he's recomposing himself and he's saying, my God is good. And he's preaching truth into himself. Um, the best way for me to kind of understand this concept is this children's book called The Moon is Always Round. The Moon is Always Round. Um, so basically what happens in this book is that um, there's this boy who recently lost his sister. His sister died. And so he looks to his dad and he says, Dad, like, will my sister ever come back? And the dad says, no. And so the child ultimately is asking the question of, um, why did this happen? And the dad thinks to himself, and he looks at the child and says, look outside. What do you see? The child says, the moon is a crescent moon. And then the dad says, yeah, but you know that the moon is round. And so what this dad is ultimately saying to the child is, even though your circumstances might not show it, even though when you look outside at the sky, it may seem as if the moon is waxing, waning, crescent, we all know that the moon is round. And so even though at this very moment in your darkness, in your struggle, it feels like you're suffocating, it feels like God's not there, it feels like God has left you, in reality, you know that God is good, that God is faithful. And you have to just keep preaching that to yourself. You have to keep running to that truth because um, that's the truth of reality. That's the truth of where we live. And so he's spiritually aggressively waging war with his doubts and darkness, and his weapons are truths about the world, truths about God. And he has solid, good theology. If we look at verse 7, he says, Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. What this man is saying is, yeah, my circumstances, yeah, my problems, they're big, but they all are under the sovereignty of God. My God is bigger. My God is greater. And my God is not the kind of God who would turn away somebody who thirsts for him. In church, this is why knowing God is so essential. Because when darkness overwhelms your soul, your knowledge of God will be tested. Who do you turn to? Who do you run to? And I don't mean things just knowing things about God. And I don't mean just knowing about godliness. Because you can know a lot about godliness and not know God can know a lot about the Bible and miss who God is. Um, so the best way for me to kind of like portray this is a couple weeks ago um, in the EM trailers we all watched a movie called uh, One Piece and it was uh, a lot of us gathered together we're watching this movie and um, this one guy stands up and he says I've actually never seen One Piece. Um, I just saw clips and pieces from TikTok and Instagram reels so I pretty much know the whole thing. And then Josh turns to him, and he says, do you, like, read, like, look at TikToks about the Bible and just say you know God? <laughs> and he just walked out. Like, this man literally walked out and just went home. Um, but that's true. That's genuinely, genuinely true. If everything you know about the Bible is off TikTok, other people's secondhand sources, I'm sorry, when darkness overwhelms your soul, you're going to crumble. If your knowledge of God is vague and wispy at best, and there's nothing to grab onto, then when you're in your pits of sorrow, you're going to fall. But if you have solid theology, there's a solid grasp on God's word and who he is, then you know that God's not going to leave you. You've wrestled with him. You've read his words. you spent time with you. You prayed with him. You communed with him. You sat at his word, and you know that he will never fail. This is why memorizing scripture in your prayers can be so helpful because 
we can bring it to God in prayer, and we can let God's word seep from our heads into our hearts and into our circumstances. Why are you cast down on my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. And so a godly man will walk into deep darkness with an even deeper thirst. And those steps will lead him in prayer from the word to the cross. But praise God, it won't stop there. He will be satisfied. Our God is not a God who ignores those who truly thirst for him. But the superficial man who has no relationship with God will be lost in that darkness. He'll go to and fro, left and right, going to whatever temporarily satisfies him. And he'll never cease his thirsting. He'll never be truly satisfied. And so church, let's pray and run to our Father who holds our salvation, who reminds us of his faithfulness through the believers. And when we look at each other, let's remind ourselves that he is good and let's rest in his word that he has promised. Let's add rhythms of prayer into our lives. Let's pray, church.